Broadcasting live from an airstream somewhere in Tornado Alley, bringing you the people, places, and stories from the Panhandle to the Red River. This is your Only in Oklahoma show. And welcome to the show. Today we're headed to Bricktown downtown to talk about the Banjo Museum with Lucas Ross um, and many other things. It's a it's a long, long journey, this interview. I'm Brett. And I am Harley. You don't like that. It's fine. Okay. Well, we're, we're, we're going to keep it. We'll keep it right there. So we got a thing. We do up. have a thing. I'm excited about the show, but let's talk about the thing because yeah. it's coming up quick. Next Saturday. It, it's coming up. This coming quick, Saturday. And probably coming up to my neck. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm scared. I keep being reminded that I can't swim. Okay. So we're doing the polar plunge at Medicine Park this coming Saturday, February 1st. I'm going to plunge. You are going to swim. <laughs> when I hear plunge, I think plunge means just dive in. Right? Okay, I will have you know what that I went and had a physical, specifically because I didn't want to die. Are you serious? Yes. Are not? Uh. Yeah. Really? Promise. It wasn't just like an old man thing. Like I'm forty something. I need to get my. I scheduled it specifically at this time. Yeah. Because I'm a little paranoid. You should be. I should be, but I'm not. I kind of feel like this. I'm going to. There's a fifty-fifty shot. I'm going to live or die. Completion isn't even part of the, the equation. I'm either going to die doing something or I, I don't know, or complete it altogether. I, there's no way to know for sure. I did not get a physical because I have, in order for me to get a physical, I have to get a referral and then I have to get a, send a, a messenger pigeon and then they have to approve it. By that time, I'm Is waiting, it? I'm waiting for an eagle to show up. Okay. Okay, okay. 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 Come on. What? With all of the it's the tropes there. You're Native American, so you yeah. have Native American health care, so we have to hear about carrier pigeons and yes. eagles and yes. and tribal elders. I I feel like you're No, I'm not ask anybody. I, you know, people talk about and I've got nothing against it. I was born into the Indian healthcare system. I've used Indian healthcare my entire life. But when people say they want universal health care, let me remind you, it's 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 almost the same thing. So yeah, it, I it, they don't get in a hurry. The, the I could die waiting to get approved for okay. the life-saving surgery. Okay, we this is probably not the show. It is the show. For you to Dang be it. criticizing the, the It's been a rough couple of years okay. in regards to this kind of thing. So no, I'm not I'm saying I'm not 100% that I'm 100% that I will be there. It's I'm splitting it down the middle. 50-50, what, what the percentage of completion is. I think if I get in the water, that's a huge step for me because I hate water. It's well documented. Two things I hate more than anything, being cold and being wet. I'm doing both of those. I may die. It's been fun. But right. yeah, this weekend, coming up this weekend, come out. Yeah, come out, check us out, laugh at us. It's going to be funny. I guarantee it. It, it. Yeah, it'll be the polar plunge follies for sure. Before we get to the American Banjo Museum and our guest, Lucas Ross, yeah, I do want to cover some Bricktown facts. There's, you know, it's not just a place where you go, you know, bowling and go to the movies and have a hamburger. There's really some rich, rich history here. A lot of people our age probably remember when it was called the Warehouse District. When you had like Spaghetti Warehouse when it first mm -hmm. started. Bricktown Warehouse. Bricktown Warehouse. You had uh, the Haunted House. What was the name of the that Haunted House? That was the Bricktown Haunted Warehouse. Was it? And there was a club down there called Club Kinetics. It, let's just say 
It was a ghost town, literally and figuratively, because it was a ghost of its former self. They've been calling it the warehouse district since the turn of the century. You know, it was a huge hub for industry, the railroad. Came through a lot of commerce that way. Yeah, they, you had four different railroads come through Oklahoma City. Right. At one time. They had, I mean, they were delivering everything from mules to eventually oil and gas. Well, another thing that needs to be noted that OKC, at the turn of the century, was also a major player in the civil, civil rights movement. Uh, many settlers, uh, African-American settlers, came here after the land run and settled in an area just east of the Santa Fe Railroad that they called Sandtown at the time. By 1910, there were over 7,000 African-American settlers in that area. And and that is actually the starting point for a lot of really interesting advances in the civil rights arena in Oklahoma City. So you had Oklahoma City's first black newspaper, the Black Dispatch, that reported on the struggle of segregating housing in Oklahoma City, and the original Oklahoma City chapter of the NAACP, which was founded by Roscoe Dungy in what is now Bricktown, and that happened in 1915. It took a major hit. Bricktown. Bricktown did. During the Depression, it caused a lot of the development. Obviously, the Depression hit Oklahoma very hard. It was the Dust Bowl era. Industry and everything else kind of slowed substantially. And it was kind of a a slow decay that lasted almost 50 years. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, that area was a once thriving crossroads and then it just kind of became a ghost town. It really, it really did. And then there was the 80s, huge revival. Yeah, come back. And and this is where Bricktown kind of starts moving towards what it became, what it has become today. Right. Urban developer Neil Horton uh-huh. rounded up some investors, and they were all well on their way to developing Bricktown into kind of a social hub. Right. But then you had the oil bust of 82 kind of quash the whole thing. Yeah, kind of put a kibosh on, on everything that they were working towards, but it didn't kill the process. It didn't kill, it didn't kill the idea. The idea. So thanks to the vision of the early settlers, I mean, you've got to still give them credit, Neil Horton and investors like Jim Brewer. Now, Jim Brewer, the name may not sound familiar, but Brewer Entertainment, I think everybody in Oklahoma City knows what Brewer Entertainment is. He founded that. Spaghetti Warehouse being one of the first major draws to the area. The original MAPS project, if you remember that from 1993, I mean, I was still in school, but I obviously I remember I've been down there. So I you, you, you saw that growth start to kind of happen in the early 90s. I mean, it wouldn't be called Bricktown today if it wasn't for Neil Horton. He came up with the name and uh, we wouldn't have the American Banjo Museum. It's really transformed over the last couple of decades into something that draws attention from all over the country, hell, all over the world. Right. You you got to kind of give it up to you know the the, the early mayors, uh, Ron Nork, Mick Cornett was a uh, a big proponent, fat, for, big fat guy, big fat guy, big proponent, huge proponent, <laughs> huge proponent of the Maps project. And without them, I mean, regardless of how you feel about it, I think you know, I think a lot of people think that it's just it's throwing good money after bad money, or however you whether you're somebody that takes part in the Bricktown. Nightlife experience. It has done a lot of things for the state of Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, and across the country. We wouldn't have, I think, if we we wouldn't have the NBA and have all of the things we have if we didn't have something to bring them to. 
I agree with that. And we have an interview coming up with Lucas Ross, and I'm not being facetious. I really think the guy, you could say a lot of the same things about Lucas. He has done a lot for a lot of different industries in the oh, state, yeah. and he's he's really kind of put a, a fun brand mm-hmm. to Oklahoma that I think it's been missing. So I'm super pumped for this interview, and we'll get to that right after this. All right, so spring spring's right around the corner. You know, it, there's no no mistaking. It's spring is springing, and it's almost time for spring ball, spring sports. Springtime means spring sports, right? If you have a team that is searching for a new look, I think Jeff and his team over at Master Threads have loads of fresh ideas. They have lightning fast turnaround. So I think really what I'm trying to say is. Don't show up to your first scrimmage in last year's scraps. Even if it says Chico's Bell Bonds on the back, you can still have a, a fancy new uniform. You got to check out Master Threads today. That's masterthreads.us. So chances are likely you've seen his face on Freedom 43, Jimmy Fallon, or maybe in films such as Wolfhead or Jurassic Games, but he's also in charge of outreach and promotions for the American Banjo Museum. It's the legend. It is the Honey Ambassador of Oklahoma. It's Lucas Ross. Lucas, welcome oh, to the show. Goodness. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. You make me sound like almost legitimate. Wait till this thing is edited. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, so, can you go put in some really good stuff about me? All right. So Lucas, I think, you know, most people know uh, a little bit about your background, but you're a banjo guy. Most kids within a relatively, I don't know, our age, 39 to 40 somethings, grew up listening to Eddie Van Halen, wanting to play electric guitar, air drums, yeah, you play the banjo. How does someone just pick up the banjo? Who was your, What inspired well, you to do that? It wasn't my first instrument. My, uh, You know, in the same vein, my first one was an accordion. Oh, wow. So I'm getting better if you look at it in that perspective. Um, I bought an accordion when I was like in sixth grade, I think. I mm-hmm. saved up money for mowing lawns all summer and found at a garage sale. Nothing makes a father prouder than <laughs> winning a Heisman trophy or bringing home an accordion. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're very supportive, but it was a novelty, and that's why I liked it. I liked Weird Al and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, and that's the same way I, I kind of got into the banjo. Now, I heard the banjo when I was a kid, like Kermit playing, and that was always – I didn't really know what the instrument was. I just liked the way it sounded. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's kind of the story I found out with a lot of people. Bill Fleck has talked about, like – because I'm comparing myself to the greatest banjo player alive. Right. Um, he talks about the first time he heard uh, Beverly Hillbilly's theme, and he was just like, what's the sound? What 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 instrument's making it? And that's kind of how I was. I loved the sound of it. I didn't even really know what was creating that sound. And so years later, I discovered my friend Doug Thompson and I, um, he was at, everybody had that friend that was like a portal to something cool that you didn't, hopefully everybody has that friend. Absolutely. Um, or maybe you are that friend to somebody, but he... He had some of his dad's old Steve Martin records, and we just – I got on that comedy, and then between that and watching my – watching The Jerk randomly on Freedom 43 years and years and years ago on their Sunday afternoon movie, The Jerk was on, and I watched my dad laughing so hard at Steve Martin trying to dance with his family, and I was just – I just kind of focused in on Steve Martin, and I saw him with a banjo, so I wanted to kind of imitate him and stuff when I was in junior high and high school, and so I got a banjo then, but I didn't know how to play it, and the internet wasn't around. There was no YouTube how to's or I didn't even know how to tune it. Wow. And, uh, but I love the idea of it. I didn't know what I was holding is such an important instrument for, for our country. And the instrument itself has such a history that goes all the way back to Africa. And it's really something that, um, 
that I love, and I never would have thought that I'd be working uh, with a museum, much less a banjo museum, any time in my life. And so it's really been a cool journey that that instrument has uh, taken me on. And then your introduction to me makes me sound like I'm a real legitimate ambassador for banjos and honey. Well, you've played you you played a banjo in space. Yes. <laughs> right. I mean, it was that, and that's your most recent album. Is that correct, or my? Yeah. Okay. You know, a few years ago, I started doing kid tours with the Metro Library Circuit in Oklahoma. They've got a great library program, and they have a lot of, despite me being involved, but they have a lot of different speakers and performers that go around at like twenty different libraries throughout the summer. And I started doing those shows with them, and my shows have always been for all ages, but you know, they're really fun and safe for all ages. So. uh it just kind of was a natural fit to do um, some kids type comedy. But I don't know. I was like, I think about those albums. They're not exactly kid albums. They're, they're qualified under that. But I've seen some pretty random jokes that that uh, not inappropriate, but just like stuff that maybe kids wouldn't get. I, I make a lot of jokes about like timeshare opportunities. And I remember there's a lady <laughs> that came up to me after a show and she's like, let me give you some advice from a retired teacher. Those kids don't get it. You talk too fast. you got to talk love to them like they don't understand anything i was like yeah right no way like they're so fast <laughs> and plus i was like and i said well i remember hearing jokes on like the muppet show that i didn't get my parents were laughing or sesame street or something like that and i well, wanted to learn what it was and so i was like it's okay and i was like if the kids didn't know what a timeshare was and they learned afterwards my job is done lady but um but anyway it's it's been a real fun uh opportunity it's led me to get to do the banjo uh, a lot, and I'll do those shows like at the at the museum as well. And that kind of led into my position here, because in addition to doing the outreach and promotion, I do kind of uh, education and curriculum development for, uh, especially our early in, uh, early and elementary ages uh, of banjo and just music history. And the banjo has such a interesting and rich uh, heritage and history with our country and and just with uh where it came from and how it's developed and continues to go and uh it's really neat to get to be a footnote in telling that story well when i was a kid you know i looked up to eddie van halen but i also watched hee-haw and roy clark on the weekends <laughs> i just felt like the banjo i had a better chance at playing you know air guitar is easier when you're not plucking you know what i mean uh <laughs> there's a little bit there's a little bit more fluidity, it seems, when you're trying right. to play air guitar with, you know, uh, eruption than dueling banjos on the steering wheel. So I, I kind of about this very thing in my kids shows. I talk about like how many of you can do air guitar, and I was like, well, what's cooler than air guitar is air banjo, and so I teach them all how to do air banjo, and then air accordion and air triangle, which is really the coolest. If you never tried that, that's really something. <laughs> oh no, I've never, I I don't think I could keep it in tune. You um, want to look cool at a concert? You just bust out your air triangle. Very, there's very few opportunities to do that. I need to get to more bluegrass festivals. I think. <laughs> I'm not saying they like it, but I do it. Well, I heard a wise man. I can't remember the quote, but a wise man quoted about an about accordions not you know being able to pick up girls with accordions. I I can't remember the quote, but I I looked it up recently. <laughs> I, I think it was you. You you're the guy that said it. Something about oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because like that's how. I wouldn't say that I won her over that way, but I remember multiple times in college serenading my now wife um, at her dorm window uh, on the accordion. Uh, but that was always why I used those instruments. It was just a prop, you know, it was to be silly. And until I met Dick Albreski with the Oklahoma Accordion Club, which they should, you should totally have him on your show because it's amazing. There's a big group of accordionists in Oklahoma. But uh, he saw me with it once and he was like, I can teach you how to actually play that thing. And I took lessons from him for, 
for a couple of years and he really got me to to play it and and respect it and i still use it as a prop but it's like good to like learn all the rules so you can break them properly and uh that's kind of been the journey i've been on with the banjo too so how did your affiliation with the american banjo museum actually start how did was it just they grabbed you they they saw what you were doing and and thought we got to get this guy it was the opposite. I was trying to get in here for a long time, and they kept locking me out. And I eventually just warmed down, and uh, I snuck into the elevator <laughs> uh, to, to the air conditioning duct. Now, the um, I was doing Steve Martin. Okay, so it comes back to Steve Martin was coming to Tulsa a few years ago, and I was like trying to just I don't know my outlet that I have at Channel Four and Rise and Shine. I can kind of come up with stuff and help promote different things. And that was something I was like, man, if Steve Martin's coming to Oklahoma, he hadn't been to Oklahoma city or any area since like the seventies. He just really hadn't toured or anything like that since, since then I was like, man, we will in the hopes of like, I don't know, not that he would ever like be on our show or anything. He's a major celebrity and doesn't have to do anything he doesn't need to do. But I just thought we need to reach out to them. And I, I guess in my ambassador ways, I wanted to be the Oklahoma Steve Martin ambassador. So I reached out and worked with them and we kind of did some promotion to, to get him to come here. And so I came down to the banjo museum and people had told me, cause I knew I love the banjo before I was really playing it a lot. I think I had gotten mine, but uh, they're like, have you been to the banjo museum? And I was like, Oh no, I'll, I'll get down there sometime. And I originally it was in Guthrie and I'd heard about it being there. And I just expected it to be probably cool. Maybe a great place to take a, selfie to put on social media in front of a bunch of banjos but it wasn't something i really knew i didn't know the presentation i didn't know the the uh portal of the instrument that this museum really is it's more than just a museum it's just beacon for the instrument that shines to the whole world because it's the only one in the whole world i didn't know that at the time but um but i came down here and did a, a video to kind of talk about the museum and to mention how at the time it was a four-string banjo hall of fame only now four string is like uh the tenor the jazz banjos that you'd hear from uh the 1920s and 30s you ever went to shaky's pizza and they had the hello my baby hello my honey mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a four string yeah. like a plectrum style yeah and that was really when the banjo was at its most popular in our country um although it's been re uh defined with the likes of things like deliverance um, and other things too. <laughs> the blues. Right. That movie had that movie has two terrifying scenes in it, and people say the banjo was still the scarier mm-hmm. of the two. That's why I didn't learn how to play air banjo. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, they're still trying to recover from that. I like this. We can. We're a lot. They're a lot more acceptable of Kermit the Frog being. being oh yeah, yeah. Representation than uh than Deliverance, but um, they it was such it by then and by Roy Roy Clark and uh, the Super Pickers, the uh, Earl Scruggs. They redefined that instrument, but it was that four string uh, style that was so big. And so when the museum started, it was the National Four String Banjo uh, Player Hall of Fame. And it was in Guthrie. There was the, ba- the the banjo festival that they'd have there. And it seemed like a good place to have it. And there was a man, Jack Canine, who had a collection of these banjos. Uh, and he wanted them on display. He could have taken them all over the place. Um, the Smithsonian, all places would have accepted these, but he wanted to make sure that they would stay together as a group and that they'd be on display for people to see. They wouldn't just go somewhere and possibly not be taken care of. Um, and so in time, they developed this uh, museum and it was in Guthrie for a while. And then they were like, well, we need to take it to the next level and ex- expand to be uh, for all instruments. And they found the opportunity to bring it to, to Bricktown, where it's been for uh, over 10 years now. And it's not just the four string Hall of Fame. It's just the Banjo Hall of Fame that highlights 
uh, four string, five string players and historic, historical figures and promoters as well. All, you've got your uh, Pete Seegers and Earl Scruggs, but you also have Walt Disney and Jim Henson. They didn't play the banjo, but because of uh, how much they either promoted it or uh, the iconic strums of Kermit have been huge. And so it's, it makes a lot of sense for how much Jim Henson promoted the banjo. And we have a cool exhibit right now of Kermit, a Kermit puppet that's on display with the banjo that they used on every episode of The Muppet Show. And it's signed by all the guest stars, which is really cool. So the banjo that you'd hear, I like to believe Kermit's really playing the banjo. Right. And this banjo was just backing him up. But uh, they have the four-string banjo that was uh, that was played um, for the show. And that show was so big. Oh, yeah. By the late 70s, and by the time they finally got it, the Muppets were big, and they'd been doing a lot of things, but nobody was giving them a chance to have their own primetime show. And Lou Grade in uh, London greenlit it, and they moved over to London to produce it. And then everybody wanted it. And you could get every – after the first season, every major star they could think of uh, was on that show. And when Julie Andrews hosted – or guest hosted the, the show, she signed the banjo. And after she signed it, every other celebrity signed it that worked with the orchestra. So Pete, uh, Peter Sellers, Johnny Cash, Elton John, Joan Baez. It's incredible the who's who that's listed on this banjo. And it was just sitting collecting dust for – for a while, Heather Henson, Jim Henson's youngest daughter, was uh, connected with how to get it, and uh, but they just didn't have a place to put it. And so she and I connected, and randomly, I mentioned I have to go to a meeting at a banjo museum, and she's like, "There's a banjo museum? I got something for you." Yeah, and, I mean, it's the perfect fit. Oh, it's so cool! It's so cool, and, and we've got to do some neat things with Kermit that continue to go uh, to go on with the museum uh, in for forever, hopefully, and it's really. It's a dream. It's so cool to actually – we've had the guy who performs Kermit, Matt Vogel. He's the current performer of uh, Kermit, and he just took the reins over officially for Big Bird from Carol Spinney after mm-hmm. 50 years of being Big Bird. And Matt is the puppet captain and the director of a lot of things for the Muppets and Sesame Street. And uh, he and I connected about a year ago this week actually and at Disney World. We were sitting next to his family at the uh, – at like – Indiana Jones stunt spectacular. It was like the last day of Disney. <laughs> yeah. And for dads, I love it. I mean, I love that stuff. I love it. I'm more excited about things than my kids are sometimes. Like, oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. But I was, we were all wiped out. And they're like, we've got like two hours left. I was like, let's go back to the hotel and take our time packing and leave. They're like, well, we didn't see the Indiana Jones show. And I was like, it's the same one they've done forever. So we go to it. Sure enough, we're sitting there and I was talking to my wife and I looked past her and Matt Vogel. And his whole family are sitting next to us. I was like, man, I'm pretty sure that's Matt. And I noticed his kid had a Kermit the Frog hat on. I was like, there's only two kids that would have that hat on here. My kid, because I was making him, and Matt Vogel's kid, because maybe he was making him too. <laughs> so we connected, and uh, he and I had spoke uh, about a year before on Twitter just about – we were sharing Steve Martin stories. And uh, he's like, Lucas, you're from the Banjo Museum, and there's a Kermit exhibit there. I'm going to be there in a couple of weeks, and I want to see it. I was like, so we made the arrangements. He came down with his uh, with his family, and they spent he spent a couple hours here, sat here in my office, and picked around on my banjo for for a while, and was like, "I should get a banjo, don't you think? I should learn." And I was like, "Yeah, man, you're Kermit." Yeah, because <laughs> I don't know that Jim ever really played. He loved the banjo. Steve Whitmire, who was Kermit's voice for and performer for years, more than just a voice, of course. Uh, I think I know he had a banjo, but I don't know how proficient he was on it. But I was like, "Matt, yeah, yeah, you should be like, you should learn." And he's like, "You think you could?" 
help me find one? I was like, yeah, I can, I've got a connection. Yeah, we got one downstairs. I'm just kidding. I busted the glass. This is exclusive. And no, but we, uh, we were able to, we just, we did a little video with him. So Kermit and I got to do a video for the kids program I do called Banjo Roots. So I'm on screen with Kermit the Frog talking about the banjo. And it's like, I get chills talking about it because if you ever hear Kermit call you by name, it's the, it's insane. That's oh, gonna I be the die. coolest thing ever. I would cry. I would totally. I, I, I don't know if I could get you a clip of the audio to use. Maybe I'll see what I can do because it's so awesome. Because I'm talking about the banjo. I was like, lots of different people play the banjo. I'm an expert. I'm Lucas. I know everything about the banjo. And Kermit quickly comes in to tell me, "No, you don't." He's like, "Lucas, Lucas, you've forgotten not every." You know, <laughs> play the banjo too. I was like, "Who else plays the banjo?" And he just looks at the camera like. oh frogs okay so he kind of helps me play and then at the end we strum together and that's kind of the kickoff for this education show and what's funny is that's the program and the project i was working on years back when heather henson and i connected and i was like i gotta go to a meeting at the banjo museum i was stuck trying to figure out how to tell this story for kids that that touched on all the different things of the banjo because there's a lot of there's a lot of tough history uh with the banjo and but it's important and needs to be uh, covered and, and addressed, but um, but all that was pretty cool. It was pretty cool to have Matt here, and uh, we sent him a banjo, and he sent me a picture of him with his banjo with a little DVD that I do. I do a free Picatune class here once a month, and uh, I sent him a copy of that just to get him started, and the sheet music to, uh, I sketched out the first opening strums of Rainbow Connection. It's like everybody wants to learn oh, doing banjos, yeah. and it was like, everybody wants to play so I sent it to him, and he sent a picture back a couple weeks later, and he was surprised. He's like, I didn't know I was getting a banjo. This is great. And I got your DVD, and I'm gonna, you're going to teach me how to play. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And my oldest son, named Henson, yeah, I got some issues. Okay. Um, <laughs> Henson was like, Dad, uh, technically you're teaching Kermit how to play the banjo. I was like, mm, uh, yes. <laughs> I will totally put that on my resume. So. I've worked with Kermit on screen. I've given him a banjo lesson. I can officially retire. This might be the last thing I ever do, guys. <laughs> hey, and we will it will never go away. This will be evergreen forever. So <laughs> there will be a lot of people happy to hear that I'm retired. So Lucas, let's circle back to Steve Martin. A few years ago, I had a chance to see him in Marty Short, as they call him in the business. Oh uh, yeah. at Windstar. And I didn't realize just how good he was at banjo until he had the Steep Canyon Rangers. Yeah. As a backing band, As a matter of fact, they're going to be at the Tower Theater in not too long. Great just band. Like a couple weeks. Yeah, yeah. a couple weeks. Six. Fantastic. They're just a phenomenal band. But anyway, I had no idea just how good he was. Have you had yeah. a chance to, you know, you, you were talking about doing some promotions for his appearance in Tulsa, but have you had a chance to pick with him, grin with him, talk with him, or has he been oh, to the museum? I would... I would love to. It's been a life. I mean, I've been writing the guy letters since I was 11. Wow. And uh, and more than a fan, I just was always just really impressed by his wit and his interest oh, and yeah. stuff. And it really was a portal to my comedy and a lot of things that, that I, I like. But um, his banjo playing has been really part of his career since he kind of started in the business. He was always playing it. He and John McEwen of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, they, were, they met when they were like 17 or 18 in high school. They went to school together. And Steve wanted to learn. He heard the banjo and he was like, I want to get a banjo. And somebody's like, oh, this other guy at school has a banjo. You should hook up with him. And it was John McEwen. And uh, they became good friends. They learned together. John taught him a lot of the things he he knows. Um, And throughout his comedy career, he was using the banjo a lot. He was um, because he does a lot of things. This is a guy. He worked at Disneyland uh, when it opened when he was 10. He worked there until he was 18. 
and uh, learned everything from rope trips, tricks to magic tricks to vaudeville style comedy and and really can do a lot of things. And he'll say in interviews that uh, that he doesn't have talent, that you can make up for lack of talent with like obsessive practicing or just doing a whole lot of things. But he's very good. He's very good at, at things. And he's used all of it. You'd see his rope trick stuff in Three Amigos and some of the things that he would do and just other movies were incorporated from his juggling to whatever. But the banjo was always part of it. Uh, and so, and I, I tweeted him one time and, uh, m- multiple times uh, who's counting. And, uh, but I asked him if he ever broke a banjo on stage cause he would get crazy and he would, he'd act so silly and kind of use it as a prop, but then he would pick it up and just play and blow people away with how good he was. Yeah. And so it was always part of it. And so a lot of times he would play banjo in between jokes or just to take a, a beat and people would. Or he would have his arrow through the head and he'd be playing something so silly. And then he would transition and start talking serious and play this beautiful banjo song and still have his arrow through his head. And I, I, my mom had a uh, – my, my mom would tell me about it. She's like, I remember watching that and just cringing for this kid who was playing the banjo trying to be so sophisticated. And he had this stupid arrow through his head and he forgot on live TV and, oh, we were just so sick for him. And, and then he realized it. And was so embarrassed. And then he said, I meant to have these on and put on rabbit ears and realized he was joking from the very beginning. Mm. And it's that kind of stuff that I love. And I've always loved just like being the being the punch punchline of it, not making fun of somebody else or or uh, in, intending to uh, inflict some kind of snark. There's so much negativity that's out there. But when you can just be the punch, the uh, punchline yourself. And he was always so good at that. And, uh, but that banjo was part of it. And I, I tweeted to him once. I said, did you ever break a banjo? You, you jump around so much when you were on stage. Did you ever do that? And he wrote back and he said, yeah, I, when I was first starting out with, with using the banjo in my show, I was doing a very small stage and there was a doorway that went onto the stage and they introduced me and I walked through it with my banjo out and snapped the neck off as right as I was walking on the stage. And I was like, how do you recover from that when like, <laughs> that's, that's the first thing they see is like, boom, you don't have anything to fall back on. And so I, I don't know what happened after that part of the story, but he's been using the banjo a lot and, and really got into it just a little over 10 years ago. He kind of got into playing it a whole lot and, and went on tour again as a bluegrass performer that kind of tells jokes in between his, uh, his stuff. And then, and then again with Marty Short, I'm in the business too, man. <laughs> when he and Martin Short did this tour together, they still incorporate it. I was at, I was at that concert too. And I, Feel I don't I know I can't repeat what Martin Short said, but it was what he said when he was wearing his flesh yeah. covered bodysuit that caught everybody off guard. I think my brother and I were there and that was the loudest and hardest and painful I've ever laughed in my life. Lucas, possibly. do you remember a guy um, standing on stage doing the Three Amigos dance with a cat T-shirt with lasers coming out of it? Was that you? Don't don't lie. But yes, that was me. Martin Short came up to me and he goes, um, "Shorts and a t-shirt. What a what yes. a thing! What a thing to wear to the theater." I mean, oh I, I could have died right then. You know, I'm so jealous. Yeah, so jealous. Yeah, that you got to do that. Yeah, I think you're it was a, the t-shirt that got me on it. I'm I'm there. I I kind of <laughs> I flubbed the dance a little, but I almost I was given fashion advice by uh, Martin Short, so I kind of felt like I could have just oh, died at that that very moment. That's so great. That is so great. Well, so after that show was over um, and the lights came up, this tall, white-haired figure stood up in front of me, and it was Byron Berline from, from Guthrie, wow, the fiddle player. And I, I had talked to him for years, and he and I bought a banjo from him, and he's just 
a great, great friend and such a sweet encourager. And he's legendary. He's not just an Oklahoma darling. Like he's the fiddle guy. And for a long time, any movie or TV show or whatever needed a fiddle player or a lick for something, he was the guy. Like when they did Back to the Future 3 and they had ZZ Top playing for that scene in the Wild Wild West. Byron was a guy that they played, had, they brought him in at the last minute and he played that fiddle hook. And, uh, anyway, Steve Martin opened for him back in the seventies at the Troubadour. And Byron was coming back that night to go say hey to him and give him a copy of his biography that he wrote about Steve in it. And so he stood up and he was like, Hey, Lucas, did you get one of these backstage bracelets? I was like, No, Byron, I'm nothing. I'm, <laughs> they, there's, it's, I'm lucky I got to come in to this show and he's like oh and i was like well unless you're gonna sneak me backstage with you <laughs> he's like and i could see this look in his eye kind of like, mm, let's try it and i was like oh no 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 and i was like half of me was excited and the other half was like this could end so bad mm-hmm. you know and you're not supposed to do that you're not supposed to meet your, your heroes. heroes no yeah i talked to him once before uh we and when he came to tulsa that time uh i saw him briefly and got i snapped a picture with him and it was just kind of like a hi how are you and Fortunately for me, there was a crazy guy that was screaming at him right afterwards, so I didn't look like the freak. He kind of looked at me and my wife like, ooh, okay, see you guys later. And so that was nice. And I had that nice little closure with him, but I was like, oh, man, I'm going backstage now. So Byron's got his arm around me, and we go back there. And I was like, Byron, I don't have a bracelet. And he's like, ah, who cares? And I was like, they do, and this is like going to be bad. This is going to be terrible. <laughs> I'm going to be on a list forever. And he, uh, we get backstage, so... I just put my hands in my pockets to not show if I had a bracelet or all. Because nothing says I've got a bracelet, then I'm not going to show it to mm-hmm. you. That was my <laughs> stupid improv. And so, sure, the security guard goes right up to us and is like, hey, um, you got to have a bracelet, man. I was like, I know, and I'm sorry. I'll go. I was, like, relieved. I actually got to talk to Graham, who plays uh, banjo for the for the Rangers, and I've talked to him a little bit, and so that was nice. And I was like, hey, that's kind of cool, but it's okay. And Byron, the guy's like, you're going to have to leave. And Byron puts his arm around me and goes, don't you know who this man is? He's on Freedom 43 TV. (laughs) We're in Windstar. That's like Texas. Right. Nobody cares. Yeah. And if if we were in Oklahoma, I wouldn't have made it this far. They'd know who I was, and they wouldn't get out of here. Yeah. Byron just stands there, and the guy looks at him and is like – I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Right this way. And he lets us go. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> and Byron looks at me and he goes, you're on your own, buddy, and pushes me off. And so I was like, I'm just like this grenade that was thrown into a room that everybody knows this guy's probably not supposed to be here. And so I'm just like, ugh. But anyway, Byron introduces me to Steve. I get to shake his hand briefly and say hi. Byron says hi. I go, hi, you tweeted me once. Steve goes, hmm, okay. I'm like, oh, idiot. That's that's why I've been waiting. That was your pickup line with Steve Martin. <laughs> you tweeted me. He's like, oh. And he goes, oh, yeah. No, I think that was somebody else. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, I'm an idiot. Anyway, so I got got my picture taken with him. I got a picture of Byron and, and Betty with him. And it's sadly, you know, Byron had so had such a career he has such a career but he has so, so many great um encounters with major celebrities from getting a lot of guys helping a lot of guys get their start to uh playing and recording with uh the rolling stones and teaching arnold schwarzenegger how to play the banjo he had uh, uh, the fiddle and he had so much in his uh shop that burned uh about yeah. a year ago now and so i found the digital copy of that after a couple of weeks, a week or so after. So I was able to go and have it printed and framed again so he could start building that collection up again. But um, 
he has had such a cool impact. And so I'm always so grateful for him taking that chance on me. But I also was like, so a few minutes into that, that conversation and stuff, I'm standing there and that security guard comes back in and he's like, Hey, I think somebody's looking for you trying to like not embarrass me, trying to not lose his job, but also like he knew he had to get me out of there and I knew I had to, you know? So he's like, Hey, and we walk out. I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. And he's like, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. But, uh, I think your brother's looking for you. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's it. <laughs> the whole Windstar, the right. whole Windstar casino people are there. Like there was a, like an attack or a terrorist or somebody. And they're all standing there like, who is this guy? Yeah. Guy Cause, in- Cause you're right there at the Oklahoma border. Do you go to the Texas state prison or do they the ship? <laughs> how far do they ship you to, to Oklahoma? If they just you, let me yeah. out. Yeah, exactly. And uh, that was that. And the guy hopefully still has his job. But um, but to fast forward, you said, has Steve ever been to the Banjo Museum? So for years, so so not long after that, or it might have been in between, we had his exhibit here, Johnny Byer, our executive director, who's not only like our curator and our the face of the museum, he's a legendary four-string banjo player and has had an incredible career himself. And we're so fortunate to have him here in Oklahoma. He's built this place up visually so much. Um, and he shares the credit with so many people that support him. But the, everything you see from the lights that are angled to the stories that are typed up and presented and pictures that are taken, that's that all comes from Johnny uh, primarily. And uh, Johnny over the years has been able to connect with Steve. And we got his banjos a few years ago. Uh, it was around this time, about three or Three years ago, I think, we had the banjo world of Steve Martin, and we had his first banjo he learned on, that banjo that he was playing with John McEwen. And then we had his his Gibson Florentine banjo, which was a 1927 banjo that had been converted to a five-string banjo. A lot of these guys, um, when the bluegrass uh, phenomenon hit, wanted to play these pre-war banjos when banjos were still being made with such great materials that they stopped um, by World War II. They couldn't justify the, the the costs and the use of that of the materials for a banjo when a war was going on and afterwards it was just by the great depression it was just so hard to justify that so people that weren't already established banjo players were turning to the guitar for uh, for those glenn miller was utilizing the rhythm guitar instead of the banjo that had been in ragtime up until that point so it really fell off the, the face of the planet in so many ways from where it had been, because everybody was playing the banjo. It was huge in, in, in America. and uh, But the guys that were starting to play still up in the hills and stuff that were developing what we know as three-finger picking style and this bluegrass style, uh, by the time that got so big in the 50s and 60s, they wanted to play these pre-war banjos that were made so well, but they were made as four-string banjos, so they would take them to luthiers and have them or somebody that could convert a neck. Because banjos have about 70, 75 pieces, give or take. They all come apart. You can unscrew it. You can take the wooden, the, the resonator off the back. Uh, the bridge is movable. The hooks that hold the, the head on. And, and the head is just similar to a drum head. And in fact, Remo that makes it, if you ever played a drum, uh, it's the same kind of material that goes on the, the head of a banjo, which is kind of the history of it. It's always been animal hide or something pulled over some kind of a, a stump or a shell or some kind of a gourd type instrument that was used for 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 that for that type of sound that's what steve martin had he had this 1927 gibson florentine that had been converted the neck was converted to a five string so 
a lot of the guys they want that sound because that ring that the the bass the round part of the the banjo has this great sound that they love and so we got that banjo and another one of his so we had these three banjos on display for a little bit but and he got inducted to the hall of fame that year this was 2015 and he was inducted for promotion for how uh really what people think of the banjo now he's he's become really a guy that a face for the banjo in so many ways huge part of it yeah and so and and more and more people are realizing oh well he really does play i kind of remember him having a banjo but i didn't really know how good he was and he continues he continues to learn and 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 develop his style and and with that sadly that 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 exhibit went down after about a year the the connection was always there and we're always trying to do something with steve martin they were always trying to do it and in between the kermit exhibit going up it kind of brought me to working here under their roof for the first time i've been doing local television stuff off and on i still continue to do those things like in the mornings but my office down here in Bricktown, behind a glass, little glass uh, window, you can come and see me in action anytime you want. <laughs> on display, like, oh, right? Are you part of the tour? <laughs> it's I love it. I love it because I love visiting people, and people come from all over the world to see to see it. But but Steve himself, finally. So I don't know if you saw Stephen Martin short. I don't feel confident enough to say Marty. I know you guys are tight. Oh yeah, you know. Um, you, uh, Steve, Steve he's a Martin. real minch, uh, as I'm saying. <laughs> they came last year to the Civic Center. And so I was like, man, they're so close. Steve has got to get to the museum. And so we're like, there's a good chance he might come. So we're going to close the museum down early on a Sunday afternoon so he can come at his leisure, go through it without anybody bothering him. And I'm just thinking, do I get to stay? Do I have to go home? I won't be a freak, I promise. And Johnny's like, yes, you can be here. And if it works out, we can like, get a good promo shot of him in the place. But it's just kind of up to him at his pace. And there's a good chance it probably won't happen because it's just hard. It's really hard to schedule stuff. Mm-hmm. And they just have everything down to the moment. So, you know, we'll, we'll be ready either way. So I was so, you know, I didn't sleep like for nights because I'm just like excited and also like just a nervous wreck about it. And uh, I was like, I'm going to go up early that day. And so I, I went up. My plan was to go up like a couple of hours before he was going to possibly come and make sure I had all the Steve Martin stuff off my wall. Like I've got <laughs> right. stuff all over the place. I don't know if you, I've got like paintings and pictures and posters and somebody. But I've got Steve Martin stuff all over the place. So I was like, I got to get that stuff off my wall because he could see it in there. And I don't want to. He's going to remember me. And then all the stuff came back to me. He's like, oh, my gosh. What if he remembers? And what if Lucas Ross is on his list you know mm-hmm. so i come up there i park and i get a phone call from the reception desk um and they're like lucas he just left you just missed him i was like two minutes late there was a change up and he'd emailed and johnny we didn't see it and anyway but he came through the museum really fast and took a bunch of pictures and uh there was a band playing on stage and he even talked to them and uh and filmed them while they were playing and all this stuff and looked in my office i just am mortified i'm thinking oh my goodness it's over i'm definitely i'm gonna lose my job if he calls johnny's like you got a crazy person working for you know it's like all these things and so that night i went to the we did go to the show and there was a chance johnny was going to go backstage and visit with him afterwards because he finally got to see the museum and we're excited that he did that it says a whole lot and uh, that he was able to make the time to do that and that if you haven't been here before the facility is gorgeous it's one of the nicest buildings it's for people that love the banjo or just kind of like it are going to be enthralled by it but just general interest it's so cool because there's so much history and art and and the growth of where the instrument keeps going, it's a lot of museums are kind of this timeline 
from this date to this date and it's locked in and that's it. But the banjo story is continuing to be told. We're still finding out things about its past. We're still seeing who's playing it and uh, embracing it into the future. So it's, it's, I feel like I work for the instrument more than just the museum for it. So it's really, really neat. But that night, Johnny was talking with Steve, and so I got to go backstage at the Civic Center. We're like, hey, you're on a list because we know you love Steve Martin. And you, I hosted like their the Kelly O'Hara Awards for them, and they're like, we have you on the meet and greet list. And I was like, oh, my goodness. My time has arrived. I'm on the <laughs> I'm supposed to be there. This is it. This is great. Oh, my goodness. Steve and I are old friends by now. This will be the third time I've had an encounter. And, <laughs> uh, boy, and probably six different times he's tweeted at me. This is going to be great. So we go backstage. Mayor Holt's there. So Mayor Holt's like, hey, this is going to be great. You take a picture of him. I'll take a picture. Or you take my picture. I'll take your picture. I was like, sure, sure, sure. So we were there and stuff. And anyway, it's my turn. And Steve just kind of pauses and looks up at me and goes, hmm, I hope you're not a criminal. <laughs> I'm sorry. And everybody did what you did and bust out laughing because I don't know if it was just they're like, ah, that's probably just a random joke. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. He knows something. He remembered uh, you. That's awesome. I'm mortified. I was mortified. <laughs> made me sick in my stomach. I was just like done. Now, and then Marty, Marty Short came out and uh, he was just all over. He was, he's a hugger and everything. Steve's very reserved. He just needed to catch a plane. That's his own private plane. He could have left whenever he wanted, but whatever. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but I, I got to talk to Martin and he was like hugging me and stuff. So there's this really funny picture that snapped where, where Martin Short's looking at me and smiling and Steve is looking and you know, with phones, you can go and kind of capture an action shot. Right. And, shoot. and there's this great moment where Steve looks at the camera really smug and it looks like he's just so mad. It looks like Martin Short is like dumping him for a younger, for <laughs> younger banjo player or something. And it's just like this the moment of Martin Short sitting back going, hmm. And I don't know what I was saying. I was probably just, you know, in awe, awe of him and gushing. And so anyway, I've got I'll send you the picture. You can share it or have whatever you want. And this is a great moment. I was like, that's one of my proudest moments is like Steve Martin is looks visual visibly irritated with me, uh, moving in on him on his territory with Martin Short. But anyway, all that to say it's really been cool to have that full circle and come back here. And, and actually Steve has given us a banjo just recently. And this is actually, this is coming up soon, like in February, February 15th, I think is the set. And it's not a huge exhibit. It's, but it's a permanent one. Steve was inducted into the Kennedy center for the Mark Twain award in 2005. And they made him a custom banjo and they put his name on it. And it's, it's got the Candy Center logo and spotlights kind of like highlighting his career and stuff. And, and it was a more for show type banjo. It's very beautiful. And he had it for a while and he's like, hey, would you guys like it? I'd love to donate it to the museum. So it's really neat to be approached by, by Steve. I say like I'm part of that. For Johnny in the museum to be approached by him and uh, for him to give us this, this really neat gift that people can come in and they can see, they can see one of his banjos is really cool. And with that banjo, Steve also sent me a book because he knew that I worked here with a little note that said, thank you. I appreciate you. And he spelt my name wrong. It was great. And so <laughs> two things. One, it lets me know he knows my name, but two, he doesn't know it so well because he's been writing it down, like stay away from this guy. I put him on my list. So, <laughs> but I'm trying to figure, I'm looking at your name. I'm thinking, I love you, Steve, but how can you, how could you miss with Lucas Ross? I mean, it's pretty, 
Well, it was weird. He spelt it. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff he wrote on it. I, I say it was a book. It was like a book's worth of papers. Yeah. It, okay. Essentially, it was a restraining order. <laughs> right. Sign but here. But he signed right. it, and it doesn't have my actual name on it, so I'm good. No. Uh, <laughs> but it was uh, it was funny, and he's given me he's given me a lot of joy. He's it, it really he's the reason why I got interested in doing playing the banjo, and because of that. I've had so much joy in getting to create music, getting to make friends that play, and uh, and and just it's been such a nice gift. And I, I wrote him a note, and I just want to say thanks. You, you've really given me. I've been a fan of what you do, but really because of him sharing his talents and sharing these things that he loves so much has brought so much joy to me personally. Uh, it's just really, it's really a, a neat, it's really a neat gift to be able to to play an instrument. And share it, and uh, have that have that with others. Uh, it's been really cool. I never would have thought that I get to work here. Plus, he also gave me the nicest gift of the best end to my story is a perfect joke with him calling me a criminal. So it's like he's the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> well, I absolutely love your enthusiasm and passion for the instrument, the museum. Uh, I really feel like you have a deep connection. I mean, it's we talk to a lot of people, and you really seem passionate about the the topic well it's because i'm an actor right <laughs> right i'm sorry it wasn't i didn't i didn't i wasn't laughing at <laughs> at your acting skills i was laughing because that was a, oh, a really no, good punchline that too well, well i think uh, i think a lot of it for me is the storytellers are going away you know uh, we're kind we're kind of the last bastion of of the purveyors of information you know there's so many kids that aren't plugged into I, an amped the, to an amp, but are connected constantly to a Wi-Fi connection that aren't gaining knowledge. You know what happens? Right. What happens when the music? I don't think the music will ever die, per se. But what happens when it's you know the volume just slowly gets faded down more and more? Right, right. And it, in so many ways, it's being preserved and uh, and it's out in so many different ways. You can access some of these things, but the knowledge of knowing that it's out there and to go look for it. And it's, it's huge. So keeping the interest and that's, I think that's really, you, you asked me and I t was a terrible interviewee by not answering this correctly, but you asked how I actually got involved with the museum because of my interest in using the banjo on like the morning show and different things. There was a 405 magazine did an interview with me and I was holding a banjo in it. And some of the board members in Oklahoma saw it and they're like, Hey, this guy has a banjo and he's younger than us. Reach out to him. And so they, they just kind of, they didn't obviously care about my skills or abilities. They just, they, you know, to have somebody younger that's interested in this and continuing whatever that is, is huge. And that's really what the, the mission of this museum is to preserve and present and promote the instrument and the, the history that, that goes with it. Because, uh, it just like you said, these kind of, this, this stuff is fleeting if the interest doesn't stay there. And I'm so fortunate that this museum exists in my own backyard. I've lived in L.A. and and uh, done all kinds of things I thought would take me out of the state. And I never would have thought if I would have heard that there was a museum like this somewhere and there was a guy like me doing what I'm doing right now, I would be so jealous and upset that I couldn't. I was like, oh, why can't I be in Oklahoma and why can't I do that? And so I'm very, very grateful to get to um, – like I said, I never thought I'd be working at a museum in my 30s. and it's more than that. It's like I get to work for the instrument and the story continues to unfold and 
it's uh you've given me a great compliment by saying that I'm I'm really versed and educated about it. I have so much to learn both on players and styles and history. I know I, there's we have a lot of great resources here and just the people that I get to know and meet that's a that's a huge huge I hope to become more of an expert in in every facet of it as I can because it is important. It, just like you said, we're if we're going to be the ones to pass on the story, I got to make sure I got it right, you know. Well, Lucas, I've never bought a GMC because of you, but I have listened to a couple of songs <laughs> and maybe watched a movie or two. So I think you're doing. Okay. You're doing. I don't get residuals <laughs> from any of that stuff, so I'll, I'll take. It. I'm sorry, I keep bringing it up, but that was my first introduction to you, Lucas Donnie. I mean, oh, you'll always yeah. you'll always be Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, and people still come by every once in a while, and they will say Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for me to say what you know i was at a this is a t- you want to hear some this is like one of my worst experiences this telling this story i don't know i'm not seeking pity but i'm scared it's going to give people ideas to see if they could actually do it but i know i'm not everybody's fan and i know that i'm a flavor to acquire possibly or a taste if that's a way to word that it sounds kind of weird in the playback feel free to get rid of that <laughs> <laughs> We won't. I, was at a, I was at a Bela Fleck banjo concert years ago. Before I might have been before I was really playing, I think. And uh, during intermission, my brother and I were there. And right when the lights came up, and it's that moment where nobody's talking, it, everybody's quiet, and then everybody starts to talk. And there's that silence from the people clapping to the rustling around to lights come up, and it's dead silent. And then everybody starts to rustle. In that magical moment of silence at this Bela Fleck concert, a, I can only describe him as an intoxicated college student who does not like my car commercials, screamed <laughs> expletives at me, telling me to shut up and where to go and how to get there and possibly about my mother and other things that didn't apply to me. And it was complete silence, and everybody at Rose State in their little theater looked at me, and I didn't know what to say because I was so shocked that I accidentally quoted myself in the commercials and said, what? <laughs> <laughs> he was so mad. That's and great, man. Fortunately, I will say this about Rose State at the time. They had a great security uh, person that was supervising. She had to be at least 78 and was stood at the door, frail, and just stared at the ground when it happened, like she didn't see it. So thanks to her. And uh, I was like, I had this, <laughs> several things happened to me that night, guys. I walked to the, well, and then afterwards we moved to other seats. I was like, I don't even know if I want to come back after intermission. And my brother's like, who cares what that guy thinks? I'm like, okay, okay, okay. There's always going to be one or two or it's just usually people don't shout stuff, you know? If I don't like something, I just don't watch it. Whatever. To each their own. After the show, I didn't see him again. I was like, okay, good. It's over with. Whatever. So we're getting in the car, and as we're pulling out, there's a line, and here he comes walking up and just happens to see me in the car. And he gets mad all over again and starts pounding on the window and flipping me off and screaming at me just because I don't know why. Well, I do. I mean, the commercials can get on your nerves if you're done with watching them. It was awful. And I was like, man, I never want this to happen when I'm out with my wife and kids. And I, I just was like, man, I'm never, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit TV. I'm going to get paid enough for this stuff. I'm not going to do it. And I couldn't even listen to banjo for a while because it was so upsetting because <laughs> it was at this concert. But then I kind of made a decision that was like, you know what? I don't want guys like that to like me. If that's my fan base, then I'm doing something wrong. And, uh, 
And I've kind of learned that from the people that are very openly critical about stuff or that write in, then I'll see what their political posts are and how extreme they are. And I won't get into all those things, but I'll be like, you know what? I'm kind of okay that I'm not this person's cup of tea. Everybody has their own tastes and uh, that's all right. As long as it doesn't inflict harm on anybody that's with me, that's okay. And the funny thing was, is a couple years later in that very room, I would be the MC for Banjo Fest introducing Bela Fleck. And I couldn't help but wonder if that guy was in the audience that night too. And so it was this nice little, I had my own personal little closure because I couldn't listen to Bela Fleck music for a while because it was so upsetting. Is that stupid or what? It's it's horrible, but I'm I'm glad that you came to the uh, the appropriate realization. <laughs> right, somebody's you, out there hearing this, being like, "Shoot, you mean I could get him to get off TV and play the banjo if I go cuss him out in front of his family? I'm on it. I will do this for the I, betterment of Oklahoma." I mean, that's an interesting way to uh, avoid the Pavlovian response of Bela Fleck, but <laughs> I'm, I'm glad was, you're here. It was totally Pavlovian. Well, and, and I, and I actually got selected to go to Bela's banjo camp last, uh, August. I got to, I was one of a hundred people chosen across the, I don't know, the globe. There are people from all over the place that got to go. I know I was at the bottom of that barrel. They were probably having to fill a quota, but I got to go and, uh, study for a week at his camp. And so that was really cool too. Golly, that guy's incredible. And my playing style changed so much. It's one of those things where you look at somebody and you're, you're like fired up, like, ready to attack and do work at something, maybe your hobby or your talent or whatever it is. And equally you want to quit because you could never do it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's like, that's Bela. Every time he holds an instrument, you're like, this is incredible. The sound that he's doing so simply, I want to do this. No, I don't. I want to go call in a hole and die right now. Cause I'll never, I'll never amount <laughs> to anything. Anyway, I've gotten over that and my Rose state experience, nothing against Rose state. Hopefully their security has improved a little bit. Well, you've moved up. <laughs> well, well that's point. been a few years so she's probably mid 80s by now the security Ooh. lady the security lady you said yeah. she was 79 yeah, yeah, I know. No, nothing against her she was sweet she didn't know what to do i didn't either nobody did we're just like uh it was also really nice to know that oklahoma has my back if i'm ever attacked in public they all everyone just knows you but you got to put the glasses on lucas it's the yeah, glasses right. that in a bow tie uh, minimum right glasses bow tie banjo i'm just a target well, if you if you run into a situation like that again, my recommendation is to yell out that you know Lacey Lett, like real loud. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think I think it would help. Okay, I'll have to meet her. Do you guys have a connection? Can you introduce me? She's Lacey Lett. What do you say? I'm just kidding. Sorry. I work with her every day. So the question we've got a few. Can I ask you a couple Ko4R questions? Uh, yes. Have you and Mike Morgan ever got into a tie-off? Oh, man. You know, he was known for wearing his sparkly ties when there was inclement weather in the extremes, whatever. And then it was kind of looked at in part that it was making light of the situation and upsetting people. And so they kind of got away from that. It was interesting. There was a family that wrote in and said, I really liked it when he had his tie on because it was a signal to let us know how serious the situation was without us scaring our children, but to be aware. And I thought that was really a beautiful oh, thing. I never thought and of it that kinda, way. Kind of interesting, but um, no, I don't think I could ever compete. He's pretty, he's pretty, uh, his are pretty wild. Now, I, I have a lot of bow ties. A lady gave me a honeybee bow tie years ago. A teacher did, and so I started wearing the bow ties because of that. So I don't know if he has any bow ties. I haven't seen him do the bow tie thing, but I'll, I'll wear a lot of bow ties. I mean, there is a tutorial where you can turn a regular, you know, turn it. Yeah, regular, yeah. So I used to do that some. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they end up really big. 
<laughs> One other question. Yes. Have you ever bombed with the laughing man? Oh, every day. He's been faking it for the last 10 years, man. <laughs> I would have never guessed, you're, man. You're speaking of Robert Miller, yeah. who's not only the laughing guy and the floor laughing manager, guy, he's yeah. like the, I will say he's the hardest working guy in television because he can do it all. And for a long time, he did. When Before they had like all the robotic cameras and all the stuff was automated, he was, he was running three multiple cameras and he's on headsets. He's running out, bringing in guests. He's setting up the, if the guest comes on and they've got some jewelry or art, he's, he's setting it up for the cameras and stuff. I mean, the guy is really lovable and just genuine, genuine human being, but very hard worker. And he does have a, a, a great laugh. It's funny. If people will like, it's just funny what people will criticize or what they'll decide that they, they don't like. And, and sometimes I think it's just based on how often they see something. It's like, you might not really have an opinion about it at all. Like if somebody was going to critique, I don't know, Mathis brothers commercials and say they don't like them. I'm just using Mathis brothers because right. I'm hoping they're your sponsor. And if not, that they'll sponsor you after this. With but your like, help, just, with your help, anything is possible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was a kid. My my second dream after was being on TV and not getting paid was to be a Mathis brother. Really? That was it. That or the credit jewelry cowboy. You remember that guy? Oh yeah, yeah. I I just I believed in I believed in not only love but the the the, the love appeal of a cowboy. He he didn't even have to show any jewelry. He no. was like, I've been out in this field looking for my horse for two days, but. Credit Julie helped me find my horse and something nice for my wife. Right. And it was cool. <laughs> and it spoke to the, when I lived in LA. So I used to work at that 70s show when I was in college. I interned out there like, oh man. Really? Long. Cool. And but people were like scared about, oh, you can't go to LA. It's going to be crazy. You're coming from Oklahoma. And I was like, oh, well, okay. And so they're like, uh, watch out. And so when I got to LA, they're like, oh, you're from Oklahoma. That's crazy. Like, and they think that we're all still in buggies and horses and, you have to get police escorts through Native American reservations and stuff. And I was like, uh, yeah, that's all true. Just stay out of my state, you crazy people. <laughs> but, um, people were like, you got to watch out because um, if you ever go down – and I never had any bad uh, bad run-ins at all. But, but they're like, if you ever go you know, down to the Hollywood Strip and stuff, you got to look out for the crazy people that are like, trying to sell you jewelry and watches. And I was like, oh, we've got crazy people selling them on, on car on commercials in Oklahoma. So uh, right. I'll be fine. Like. The credit jewelry cowboy, man. Nothing, nothing's going to beat that. I feel like there's people that just form opinions because they see something so much and, uh, they decide that they, they might not like something. And Robert's laugh is so unique and fun. And some people will write in and be like, that's unprofessional. You can't do that. And it's like, who says it's unprofessional? Like who, what are these laws and these rules? And again, if you don't like it, you can watch another, they don't like me saying this, but you can watch a different channel, but they don't. They'll keep watching because they keep letting me know. I'm going to stop watching this show if your stupid face is on there tomorrow. Well, well I told you. And then the next day they're like, well, I told you. I'm yeah. giving you one more chance. And like three days, <laughs> later, I was like, okay, whatever. They're doing everything. They're watching. They're writing in. They're doing whatever the station wants. And yeah, as somebody who's desperate for affirmation and has anxiety issues, having any negativity come to them is terrible. But hey – if it gets viewers, right. we'll do it. Do it for the views. You know, Kent Ogle, I'm not saying he's not funny, but when Robert laughs, it, it makes Kent Ogle even funnier. So, Oh, Kent's great, too. The Ogles are, like, seriously, they are, um, they're all the people that I've got to work with there are so great. And Kevin, like, they are people that would come and help you out anytime. If you had a flat tire in the middle of the night, uh, Kevin Ogle will, oh, here, I'll give you his phone number. Just put this up. <laughs> I appreciate that. 
it's it's been really neat. I, I was I, I've worked with oh man, it's been like ten, since 2007, I think I was hired there. So that's over. I don't know. Are we 12 years yet? Wow. I don't do math. But, <laughs> but Linda Cavanaugh really reached out and was really was really great to me. Everybody that I've got to work with there are, are, are wonderful. I, I know a lot of people that have worked at other stations and stuff. And that's the kind of thing too is I feel like it's kind of the same way with politics because I know that's a topic you want to get into. Unless you get to it right now. Who all did you guys vote for? Uh, uh, anyway, I voted uh, for Sanjaya uh, on American Idol. That was the last. Oh, how dare! I'm sorry. How dare! He made it to semis. I helped. Um, <laughs> That's the only time I ever voted for that. Show. <laughs> That's the only time I'll admit to voting. I still wanted to come back, but they—you uh, never know where you're going to work or who's going to be your employer next. So it's kind of like everybody's on the same team, even though it's like visually competitive. And I feel like it's kind of the same way. My grandfather had a history of working with politics, and he's like, man, in, in D.C., like a lot of these guys are friends with each other across on the other side of the, the row because they're not in competition with each other internally and stuff like that. And I kind of feel like that's kind of a TV thing is like they all work together. I mean, you've got you've got an oval on every single channel that yes. is available. Right. And so you're going to tell me that that well, I went to um Kevin's daughter's wedding. We played in the the Channel Four band. I played accordion. We did. We did. Uh, oh, what did we play? We did a uh, just a small town girl. What is that song? Oh, uh, don't stop believing. It, don't stop believing. Yeah. And I got. To, I think I played that on accordion. So you know how good that sounded. Oh man, but it was great. But it was cool because all these TV stations are all there, and I'm like, it's just cool that like that kind of stuff doesn't matter it's when it's family. But at the same time, I was thinking, we're all just one drink away from this turning into that scene from Anchorman. That's exactly what I was going to say, right? I was, I was kind of hoping, but no, it, it was, it was, uh, it was great. And it's been really a, a joy to get to, uh, see that. You know, I grew up, I grew up with those things. Galen Culver came out and did, is this a great state of what about my family's bee business when I was in middle school? And that like got me to officially be like, yeah, I'm not doing bees. I'm, I'm going to be, I want to work in television officially. And, so it's been really cool. Like uh, I'm going to cool. be be right. anywhere but here. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Cutting that out. I love it. I love it. I'm going to use it. I might <laughs> like I don't like it, but I'll totally steal it and claim it as my own. I've learned that in television too. I wasn't going to talk about the honey. We're not going to go there. I, I, try, oh. I did try to get your parents on for the uh, the honey festival. Maybe you can. Yeah. I don't know. Do maybe you, you you might be the rub on that. Uh, they would totally year. do it. I wonder yeah. what they were. They just too busy or something? I don't know. I have no idea who they we got, reached out to. Well, they're too busy running the you know the Lucas Ross fan club. Uh, <laughs> My mom is know. the only one that's writing in nice things. <laughs> And she's not yelling at you, uh, drunk in a drunken tirade at the Rose State Coliseum. No, she is. She is. But I know it comes from love. <laughs> so speaking. <laughs> she's earned it, though. That guy didn't earn it. Right. He only put up with me for a couple of years. She put up with me my whole life. So speaking yeah. of opportunities to get drunk and yell out things at Lucas, you've got a few events coming up. At <laughs> yeah, the, that's, uh... always, that's always my audience. Those Metro <laughs> Library shows get pretty rowdy. Yeah, you're. <laughs> yeah, your demo it has changed quite a bit, hasn't it? Um, it's a little bit more watered down now. But uh, well, you... yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just never. I was just kind of. I don't know. I say that I'm kind of the same in every situation. It just kind of works. I did a show for uh, for New Year's Eve for opening night. I did four shows back to back from seven to midnight. Uh, this past year at the Metro Library. Hey. <laughs> it was a sellout. And, was uh -huh. and there were people from. It was packed. It was people from like. Uh, 
you know, families with kids that wanted to have something safe, you know, they wanted to celebrate and, you know, be, you know, somewhere they knew that nothing inappropriate was going to be said. And you had uh, the millennials and you had all ages and stuff. And, and I don't know to say that my stuff is appropriate for all ages. It's zany and maybe silly and crazy and stuff. But yeah, like I, I kind of have always kept it clean, mostly because I feel like, well, if I said something wrong, um, God could forgive me, but my grandma won't forget it. Right. So it was like, and now she's with him and she's going to tip him off if I do anything appropriate. But I don't know. I just always was like, I never want to make somebody feel uncomfortable or hurt um, in the name of being funny. It's really not worth it. And it's harder sometimes to work at that, but I've been very fortunate. And because of that, I, I, I'm trusted. You know, the, the station doesn't mind me coming on and improving for minutes at a time and I can go and do a corporate show for different companies and stuff. And they know that I'm not going to get up and do something wrong or raunchy or something. That's why I work on the internet and not where I'm FCC regulated. I'll never be as successful <laughs> as you, Lucas. Thank uh, you. Thank well, you. I, I, uh, and I, I love, I'm not saying I'm not a believer in a love for free speech and things like that. I love that. And the risks that are, they're being able to take and the rules are being broken. I've just always kind of, I think there's just kind of this naive, naivete about me or uh, that's just kind of like it wouldn't work for me to come in and start talking all vulgar it might get a cheap laugh but it wouldn't really be funny make people feel uncomfortable because they've they've locked me in as this little dorky little guy with glasses that they don't want to hear say something bad and i like that that's fine i like i like i'm proud of it that way my family can watch it my kids can see it and uh and i don't for the most part regret it for the most part. <laughs> well, there's always the occasional guy that wants to come up and cuss me out at the state fair or something like that. So, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's weird. I mean, how many times have you written in to something you don't like or gone out of your way to go find somebody you don't like just to tell them you don't like them? Never. Yeah. Really? I, I don't oh, get it. You? No, because I, you know, I would love for to do nothing more. You know, I do voice uh, voice over and voice acting artist stuff on the side. Uh -huh. And I would love nothing more than to have a kid recognize me as the Joker or as Optimus Prime or Megatron. You know, I, I, the hatred part, sure. I, I'll never be as good as, say, Peter Cullen or any of those guys. But I would, I would, I just don't, I can't attack people in their craft. I don't have to like it. I don't have to watch it. Yeah. Like you said, I can turn the, I can turn the channel, but, I'm telling you this right now. I like to watch the Ferguson commercials because of you. I like Freedom 43. I like I like who you are. So it, you know, yeah. I'm not going to change the channel. But if I don't like it, I'm just not going to watch. Well, I appreciate that, and that's yeah. kind of, that's how I feel too. And I'll tell people, people right now, I'll be like, "You idiot! You, I can't stand you!" And so on. And I'll be like, "I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm here, so I can do. Uh, so I'll, <laughs> I will like say, hey." And I'll call them out. If they're going to post publicly, then I'll say, hey, this name says I'm a waste of oxygen. This was actually somebody wrote in and said that that idiot with the glasses is a waste of oxygen and should be choked out. And I don't mind helping. Wow. I've never <laughs> hated. From, yeah, I've never hated. Yeah. Do what? I've never hated anyone. That, well, OK, <laughs> never mind. Uh, I've never hated a celebrity that much. Well, it's so I'm pretty big. You're I guess a big if deal. I can inflict this much passion. No, but uh, I was like, I uh, I looked, of course I shouldn't have, and I clicked on it, and I'd go and i see her profile, and this is a lady that could have been like my mom. It was like a woman that's got like 
a picture of her at church on her profile and with her grandkids and all these things. I was like, you almost, you practically wish me a death threat lady. Yeah. And so I still let it go. But we like wrote in, I was like, Hey, I'm sorry. I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea. Thanks for watching. Despite me, I can send you a schedule of all the times I'm on and hope that you can avoid me. I'll do that. I'll tell people, Hey, here's the deal. If you don't like me, I'm on at this time, roughly in this time. And I'm so sorry if you happen to catch one of my commercials and you didn't want to see it. You know, when I do that, people will like come to my defense and sometimes it's like, well, you're just pandering to them. But I, I just think it's really funny and it gives me some material. But she wrote back and she was like, oh, I never thought that you would see this. <laughs> I was She's watching. Like, well, Go ahead. she goes, maybe I'll give you another shot. In fact, what you did this morning was pretty stinking hilarious. I was like, whoa, you just like wished me a death threat. And now you're like, well, maybe I'll give you another try. And right then and then I was like, okay. And I've had people that hated and hated and hated me. And I wore them down enough that now they love me. And they write into the rise and shine every day because I'll read their posts and I'll, and I'll make their jokes and stuff. And I have to remember, this is that same person and the same people. So I'll ask you this. How many, I'm asking you the question. Yeah. How many times have you written into a show that you love just to say, I like you? I've done that I've a few done times. That a few times, yeah. It's just not as common. We don't go right. away. If you like something, you just watch it. Mm-hmm. And and it's different now because now with with social media, it's a lot easier to interact and stuff. And we invite we invite people to do that. Right. And so we know that that's a risk when you put yourself out there like that. It's humi- It's really a humiliating thing and humbling daily. Well, because about the time you get lifted up, you can get kicked down really hard. So you have to just. It's a bell curve for both of those things, yeah. the positives yeah. and the and the negatives, and you just have to focus on it. Because uh, there there have been times that I'll just be beaten down and I'm like, man, nobody gets my jokes. And what am I really doing here? And am I just annoying people at this point? And I'll get it. I got a This happened a couple of years ago and I was in a kind of a low spot and I was just like, I don't know. I mean, do I need to be – am I wasting my efforts here? What, what am I trying to do? You know, just the artist thing. Anybody that <laughs> – I say like, I'm a real artist. But, you know, just that, that tortured love of your craft then you're up and down. And it was a really down spot. Mm-hmm. And I got a call – from some no, I met. Some, I talked to somebody at the state fair, and this lady said, "I just want to say uh, thank you." And you never know what people are going to say when they want to come up to you and they're like, right. "Are you that guy?" And I was like, and so I start saying to people now, either um, "No, that's my brother," or "Yeah, uh, I was like I am, unless you don't like me." And then that's um, <laughs> right. I was like, if you really like me, then I write all my own material too. So that's kind of my shtick, and my family is loving it. How they've heard me say that hundreds and hundreds of times. This lady walked up and she's like, "Are you that guy from?" the TV and stuff. And I was like, uh, yeah. And she said, okay, well, my mother and I have watched you for the past two years and you have made us laugh every single day. And she has been suffering with cancer for, uh, this past year. And she just passed away. And there are a lot of days that she never was happy at all, but she got to laugh at least once every day when we were watching you do your stupid stuff. And I was just kind of like, uh, and I don't tell that for any reason other than to say that I appreciate those people mm-hmm. that I'm that I if I'm if I'm nothing else but a distraction from the bad news or the bad thing that's going on in their life, even if they're irritated by me, but I'm not one of those things, whatever it is, it was really a blessing. And I, I kind of thought, you know, I, I don't know if there's any other reason that I got to be on TV other than for that woman and her mom to have that moment. And that's my whole purpose on earth. Right. And TV was just for that one lady. And if that was really it, then totally worth it. Well, and that's totally the, and that's at the end of the day, no matter what level of media attention you have, whether it's a podcast like us or you're, you know, on networks or television or you're, you're doing music. 
I think ultimately the goal, yeah, we'd all love to be rich doing what we do <laughs> and we're, 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 we, we don't think we're good at, but others are willing to pay us for. But I think the, the, the real rebate, the real payback is, is, are those type of moments like that where you kind of go, well, maybe it isn't all for nothing. You know, and that's, and that's a really cliche thing to say, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, and I've had like every once in a while somebody will, and I've been very fortunate. I say that I'm, I'm, there's so many kind people here. And I know, <laughs> and I, and I honestly look at it like I just happen to be on this side of the TV because I've got to know so many people and so many friends over the years. I could name off these people that I don't just know their names from their posts. I know their faces. I know their kids. I stalk them. I watch them when they sleep. No, um, I've just got to meet them over the years and I've watched their kids grow up. And I, it's just really neat community. I come from a very small town, that little town of Minko where everybody knew everybody's business. And I was finding ways to get up and make announcements at school or be on stage at the Honey Festival when I was 10. I'm doing the same thing now. I just got permission from the powers that be to get up and, and be there. And I'm hopefully, I feel like I'm just viewed by people as not some kind of local <laughs> celebrity or anything. Right. I'm like the little brother. That can that they can talk to and they can be like, oh, you're that guy. Tell me about Linda Cavanaugh. I could be like, oh, she's the best. Let's call her. Let's call her right now. <laughs> right. She doesn't like that. No. All right. So <laughs> Lucas, yes. we have we have many a mile have we traveled in this this interview. Now I know that the the Banjo Museum is always doing something. You're affiliated with it as often as you can be. There are a few events coming up, though, that everyone can take part in. Um, yes. Coming up on the f Saturday the 1st of February, the ukulele, ukulele Jam Session is coming up. Yes. Tell me, what, what, what's the deal with that? People are like, ukulele? Banjo? Right. What are you doing? Right. Well, there's very there's very many banjo ukulele players. And it's, a, it's the same tuning, same everything. It just has a louder sound to it, amplified. And a lot of vaudeville... Uh, stars played ukulele. Tessie O'Shea was a great banjo comedian performer who opened, who she played right before the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. We have her banjo here, her banjo ukulele. And so the, the banjo ukulele thing has been a, a big, big part of that story. And we do a ukulele jam. It's one of our several jam sessions that we have that comes up. All you got to do, if you show up with an instrument for our jam session, you get in free. It's just as simple as that. And if you don't want to play, you just want to come. If you come, if you're a patron to the museum that day, it's open to where you can sit in and listen to that. And it's a lot of fun. We have ukulele jam. That's February 1st. And then we have other jams, too. There's a Celtic uh, four-string banjo. There's bluegrass. And it's not just two banjo. You know, if you're a bass player and you want a gig, oh, man, they will <laughs> they will flock to you if we got a guy with an upright bass. And uh, that means that we've got somebody who can carry the carry the song. So those are a lot of fun. That's awesome. So I, there's an event coming up on the 5th of February and banjos is fun. But what is brown bagging it with banjos? What the heck are we, what are we doing? Sounds really cool. There's a time where we couldn't get anybody to come to the banjo performance. So you had to actually put a sack over their head. Oh, that makes sense. <laughs> put them in a van. It's not funny at that all. Was mo that was the, the most of my first marriage. She just made me wear a bag on my head. Dark. Well, that's okay. She's not alive. She was. She's not going to hear this. She's dead. Right. Oh my! Dude, stop it! <laughs> oh, um, somebody died in the making of the podcast. What's brown um, bag with banjos? Liz? Tell me more. <laughs> so, brown bag it with banjos refers to bringing your lunch. You can bring your lunch and get in free if you bring your. This is crazy. If you bring your own lunch, we don't provide lunch, but we provide a place to sit and eat your lunch. We have a little. 
tables and chairs in our room. It was originally designed as a Shakey's Pizza Parlor room, mm -hmm. and Shakey's always had live banjo performance. If you had a franchise, you had to have a banjo player on staff. It was part of the deal. And uh, we have that that room is set up now as your father's mustache room, which was another predominant club in the 60s. But that's where all of our shows are. There's a stage in there. You can come in for Brown Bag It with Banjos. Bring your lunch. Johnny Byer, our executive director and world-renowned, amazing four-string tenor banjo player, uh, performs for you for free. And then you have access to check out the museum and stuff. So it's a great way to come at no cost to you other than however you want to bring your food in. If you want to bring – if you want to stop by – Drive through and get it. If you want to go to Abuelo's next door and bring it over here or bring your own lunch. Shoot, man, you could have your family's Thanksgiving dinner if you want to bring it yourself. And uh, I'll fight you over the wishbone. The Well, because it's I'm, I'm a very literal person, I would uh -huh. probably go out of my way to find, a, you know, years ago, Sonic had the brown bag special. I would have just swung it through right. and grabbed one of those. But now I feel like I'm obligated to find a brown paper bag to put my my, I don't know. If it's just right. a banana, does it have to be a full course lunch? Can it be a banana in a paper oh, bag? No, no, no. It has to be some kind of food, I'm guessing, or you can't come in for free. <laughs> I, I you can decide. You can decide on the cost of uh, of admission versus how much you want to spend on lunch, and see if you if you can find a lunch that's. I paid that's, a banana uh, to get into the banjo museum. What did you do today? Yeah, right. You know? Oh, I like that. We could have that for a whole different. That's a whole different day. Banjos and bananas. Mm -hmm. I want that's credit. Bad. That's I'll get to leave. That, they'll let me do that one. I want credit once, for that one. Every once in a while, um, they'll have me uh, fill in, but it's usually Johnny, and uh, it's it's a lot. It's great. It's a lot of fun. Johnny's performed thousands and thousands of shows all over the country, and uh, again, he needs some other shows here too. That's just a great way. It's a great intro to the museum, and and it's a little fun way. That's you know, it's not too many museums are like that it's not an interactive hands-on museum in that sense to where like the science museum where you can climb on everything and you know touch and play a lot of them all the instruments are these delicate things on display but we have opportunities like that where they can come and hear but i guess i should say we do have a place called the learning lounge where you can come in and uh, pick up a banjo and, and try it out for yourself it would be unfair to let to have you come in and look at over 400 instruments on display and not let you touch one. So the Deering Banjo Company has, uh, we have some of their banjos there that you can try one out. And I actually do another thing, uh, an event that we do that's coming up this month to jump forward. If you were going to ask, um, I do a Picatune class, which is free and once a month. It's a, it's a, you sign up and reserve your spot. And uh, we provide the banjo. Again, it's a free thing. You and a guest can come and watch and hang out with you. And then you've got admission is built into that to go check out the museum. But I teach you in an hour the basics of the banjo, a little bit of the history, how to play it, kind of get an idea of the strumming. And it's not exactly a lesson. So for people that have no music abilities, have never touched a banjo, this is for them. In fact, if you have ever played you're probably more qualified than i am to teach so i can't have you in my class I gotta <laughs> bare bones. so but, I, um, I, I have a question yeah is the intro to uh dueling banjos the smoke on the water of the banjo <laughs> Ooh, well i got a banjo right here do you want me to get it and see yeah is it the smoke of the water that's I, really a great that's a that's a great way to look at that and now it's just making me want to see a mashup of the two songs. Oh, boy. Uh, I, I kind of thought it was more like Stairway to Heaven kind of. Right. right. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, you know, when I was first going to get a banjo, I went to a music shop and the guy there was like, well, if you get a banjo, you need to take lessons from this guy right here, but just don't ask him to play dueling banjos. And the guy goes, over Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, yeah, don't ask him to play dueling banjos or Beverly Hillbillies because he always gets that and don't ask him. I was like, okay. He's like, oh, or Foggy Mountain Breakdown. Don't ask him to play Foggy <laughs> Mountain Breakdown. All this stuff. I was like, I. So I like smart alecky. I go, is it because you don't know how to play those songs? Right. <laughs> he didn't like that. <laughs> All right, let's see. Let me see if I'm tuning here. So I guess. Did you know you're going to get music? We did yeah. not. We did not. See, the banjo player spends 90% of the time tuning and 10% <laughs> of the time playing out of tune. It's That's a really, sh- really short concert. That's pretty good. Like. Okay. Things right there. Man. I, I feel like you've practiced that before. That was way I too. Well, I never tried to put them together. Oh gosh, that's great! Wow, <laughs> I love so it. People, like when you play banjo, they're like, "You." I say, "You can play anything on banjo," and my dad would always be like, "Yes, the question is, should you?" Right. <laughs> Wow. He's wow. very encouraging. I, I, I poke fun a lot. My parents, I, I was very fortunate to uh, to have such support growing up. And man, for them to embrace a kid that comes home on his bicycle with an accordion on his back and then to pick up a banjo. Um, these people, my wife, they're all getting into heaven, man, putting up with me. But my- my, the question is, how did you know, you kind of look at it like it's the, the kid with the parents that own the hardware store. How did uh-huh. you convince them that... I mean, I'm sure eventually you'll be the heir to the honey throne, but how did you convince <laughs> them that, you know, I really want to do this showbiz thing? You know, they were always, my dad tells me famously that whenever I was a small, I don't remember saying this, but evidently I was supposed to go help something, help work at the honey plant or something. And he said, help me clean this stuff up. And as a toddler or something, I said, I'm not a cleaner. I'm an artist. Wow. There, I mean, that's going to be your epitaph. People go on to say that I was very difficult. So when people think I'm irritating now on television, uh, there's no, nothing compared to how difficult I was um, as a child. No, they were always very my, – my, um, my mother was very artistic and musical, and so music was always a big part of our, our household. And I just kind of locked, locked into the comedy thing. I, I didn't fit in. The, I wasn't interested in sports like the other kids were. My dad loved uh, OU football. They wanted to, he want, he wanted, not my mom. He wanted to name me Barry Switzer Ross. Oh boy. As a child. Uh, well, when I was born, because it was at the height of OU football at the time. And Barry Switzer was of course their coach, not even just Barry. He wanted it to be Barry Switzer. Like that was my first name. Oh boy. And, uh, it was, there's one picture of me somewhere where I'm wearing a football jersey and I'm holding a ball of football and I'm just looking at it like I don't even know how to touch this. <laughs> and it's like the epitome of my interest in all that. And so he kind of 
understood that I was going to be more into the the arts and the imagination and stuff like that. It's always been kind of a neat, encouraging thing. It's really funny to come full circle on it. We did uh, a couple of years ago, National Geographic. They were trying this comedy show. They were trying to do kind of like their version of Saturday Night Live on one of their cable channels, Nat Geo Wild. And they were trying to do like Wild After Dark. It was kind of edgy, funny, weird stuff that had to do with Nat, with a would like animals and stuff like that. So a local filmmaker guy here said, Hey, do you want to help us with something? Do you have something? And I was like, well, I kind of got this song called son of a beekeeper that, and I kind of got a concept. My brother and I wrote a script. And so essentially it's a recreation of that time. Galen Culver came to film my parents for channel four. And I was really excited. That was one day I was like really excited to go to work because I wanted to be on TV. I did not care about the bees at all, but I was faking it that day. I had my, my, uh, my hat on and my veil and the gloves and everything. And I was just trying to get on the, on the screen the whole time. And so we kind of wrote that into a, a sketch about this guy who has been contacted by National Geographic is coming to film the honey plant. And so the very beginning, I'm just like, hi, I'm Lucas and I'm a beekeeper. And uh, this is my, but as it goes on, you realize I'm inept and I have no, it's a Michael Scott. Yes. I'm, I'm dropping things. And um, my dad is there saying, it's actually my company. And I'm like, yeah, but it will all be mine someday. And he's like, well, let's hope not. And so it was just, and he played himself. So it was really cool. So my dad got to play himself. It had some uh, educational merit into it. There was a great running joke that they had to cut because they didn't want to offend anybody. There was um, a, a running joke about how I'm allergic to bees. And so it's a risky business to be in if you're allergic to bees, which is not true about me, but it is about my mother. And mm. she was a mm. child, a high fellow of her. So her, my dad inherited the family through marriage. So my mom's dad, Glenn Gibson, was the, the guy who started the bee business back in the 40s. And uh, he, a hive fell over and she got stung a whole lot when she was a baby. And the doctor was like, just don't ever get stung again. And so her whole life, we always live in this fear of like, why are we beekeepers if you could die, you know? Right. There's a risk in every career, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> so she didn't do the bee work. She stayed in and did the bottling stuff. But um, but we wrote that joke into it and they thought it was going to offend somebody today. It was really disappointing because it was a really funny gag. But all, all that to say is, so we went back, the whole film crew, they were all there. I'm doing what I've been doing in television for 10, 15 years. And now I'm back at, at my parents' place with this film crew. And I was just like thinking, man, when I was a kid, I would have been so excited to see all these lights and the cameras and, and to see what they're doing and trying to get out of here. And all I could think about that day was like, man, my dad's job is so much cooler. This is so, <laughs> this right? is so fascinating. And all these guys have never seen this. And who's doing this anymore? All these guys. And, it's, and I love, we have a great film community here and our media abilities here just continue to grow and they're great. And I've been very blessed from that to be part of it. And I was just, but I was just thinking, and I was like, man, my dad's job is so unique. And so, I didn't know what I had when I was a kid, the access I have. And that's typical of any, any kid, you know, that grow, grows up somewhere and they're just like, ugh, I don't, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I, I really got to see it. So I was really proud of that. If, I was always saying, I was like, if that's the last thing I ever got to do, I was very proud to get to sit next to my dad and do comedy with him and then also talk about the bees and stuff. They, he's all but kind of retired from the actual handling of bees uh, now, but they still process the honey. They still bring it in. His his hives and yards are still out there, but we work with the, the guys that kind of handle the bees now to uh, process the honey there and still filter it and stuff. So, uh, But yeah, it's not really something that, that I'm going to pick up that way. But my brother and sister and I, we talk about how to carry that legacy on and continue. The Minko Honey Festival will have to go on next year's the 30th anniversary of it. So that's going to be a big one. 
Now, all I have to say is we thought it was the 30th anniversary. In true small town fashion, we were advertising it that it was this past year was the 29th anniversary and next year is going to be a big one. And my sister did the math and she's like, hold on a second. The first honey festival we did was in 1990. This technically was the 30th because you count the, the year of the 30th. It's not like a birthday that after every year you <laughs> right. age. We've had 30 of these already. So we're like, no. And it was just <laughs> perfect small town, like <laughs> we miscalculated. And we're advertising, get ready for next year. The 30th is a big one. We're like, we just did it. Hope it was right. good. See you next year for the 31st. But. All right. So, Lucas, you're everywhere. People can find you all over the place. What's the best way to get information for about the museum? Not necessarily to talk trash to you. I mean, they can do that. <laughs> but yes. what's the best way for them to get information on events and what's yeah. happening? You can go on a thing called the Internet, and there's a website there. It's the only <laughs> website, as far as I know. There's two, Ask Jeeves and this one. And it's www. <laughs> If you still have to even do we even have to type that anymore? No. It takes so long to say. Why it's shorter to say World Wide Web. Like why were we abbreviating something to make it sound ten times long anyway? Um what was the question? Just kidding. What, American the, Banjo yeah. Museum, AmericanBanjoMuseum.com. Awesome. Uh and it has everything has our events, has ways that you can get involved, become a member. The the membership thing is kind of interesting because more than just having access to the museum, you get to come to all the, the events and stuff that go on here. It's a lot of fun. That, that's is that essentially players do uh, what? I was going to say, is that essentially like a donor program almost? Yeah, it kind of, and it okay. just gives you access to uh, the special events, or like whenever we do, we'll have the Steve Martin exhibit, this little special exhibit that'll go up in February. You'll um, when they do those kind of things and ribbon cuttings, you you get to come to those kind of things and stuff and are invited. So it's uh it's neat to be part of that. And if there's like a banjo player in your life, it's a little bit of like a, a pride thing to have like. A card, like I'm a card carrying member of the banjo museum because, well, in Oklahoma, we're all like, yeah, does everybody have a banjo museum? A lot of people think like, does every state have a banjo museum? It's like, no, this is the only one in the world that we know of this only dedicated to the banjo. So because of that, it's brought in people like Steve Martin and Kermit and Bela Fleck and all these great, great musicians. And outside of that, we've even had, oh man, I know I'm rambling, but I've got one more story for you. There was a time that our <laughs> we had this is before I was working here, but one of our volunteers was was talking to somebody who came in to visit and asked if they could touch this big bass banjo that they had on display. And I'm like, sorry, you can't touch it. And the volunteer's a great guy. His name's Jack. He talks really loud and he's this good old guy. And he kept saying, No, you can't. I told you no. And the answer is no. <laughs> and the executive director walked out and they're like, What's going on out here? And he's like, Oh, some guy was in here earlier wanted to play that bass banjo. And I told him, if the sign says no, the answer is no. Just to beat it. Stop asking me. He's like, well, who was it? It's like, ah, some British fellow, something Clapton. Oh, my. Are you serious? Oh, my God. <laughs> so. Can you fire so, a volunteer? Is that, is that? No, no, no. Not when they're on the board. Yeah. No. And he's great. And it wasn't as, he wasn't kicking him out or whatever. It's just one of those things. It's like, well, the rules are the rules. And God was like, mm, okay. I'm sure the story has been, uh, has grown every time we tell it. But right. the best thing is Clapton's going back on tour. I think maybe this year. And so I was going to do a formal invitation from the Banjo Museum saying, please, Mr. Sir Eric Clapton, accept this invitation and apology for any way you were treated and come back to the Banjo Museum. Just don't you dare touch that bass banjo or we'll call on the cops. <laughs> right. That's funny. Well, Lucas, we really, really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show. Like, so we know you're a busy guy and uh, it, 
means a lot. What you're doing means a lot, and that you would again take the time out to talk to us is is, is pretty awesome. Well, I appreciate you guys, and I love I love what you're doing. I'm so proud to be uh, from this state, a state that I always thought I wanted to get out of, and I just to grow to love more and more and more every day. There's so many opportunities. And so many great artists and talented people there. You guys are are doing a really cool show here. Thanks for letting me be part of it. Uh, dude, I I feel the same way. Like I, I think that's part of the genesis of the show is, uh, you know, so many people come here or leave here thinking that the grass is greener, and then they come back twenty years later and go, oh man, there's so much stuff that I never got a chance to do while I lived here because I didn't I didn't see the value in it at the time. Yeah, you can. There were years ago. There was a. a <laughs> I won't say who it is now, but uh, they are a major celebrity. And I came to town, and they were going out to do some tornado relief stuff. And somehow my brother Marcus and I were enlisted to drive them down to uh, the ground zero of the site. And the whole way down, they were trying to be very respectful, but they were still like – they're from L.A., and they're kind of looking at us like, well, you know, no offense, but why do people live here? if disasters and stuff like this happen or whatever. And I was like, oh, yeah, I mean, we kind of ask that to ourselves sometimes. And I said, you'll never find people that that, that help. And so I was like, there's just something to it. And uh, anyway, after serving that whole day and going and helping people and and, and should I bring my kids here and uh, change my whole life? I mean, they were genuinely asking us. And my brother and I are like, sure, maybe don't live right here in Tornado <laughs> Alley. <laughs> But um, but it was really cool to have that impact. I'm very proud of that moment. And uh, there is something different. There's people that – and I didn't know this. I've talked to friends outside of Oklahoma. They're like, yeah, you Oklahomans can smell each other. And you want to work with other – you trust Oklahomans. You know they're Oklahomans. And you, you help everybody. But you have to really be from Oklahoma to get it. And I was like, oh, I didn't really know that. But I kind of see that too. And, and nothing is a – like – to not be open or anything like that. And we need to always be, you know, working and, and gracious to everybody that just chooses to come here. But it's a lot to say that we, we look out for our own and we, we look out for each other. And I'm very proud. I'm very proud to, to get to be part of that. Thanks guys. You're awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay. So only an okay. First, this is like a 19 hour long interview. It really is. I kind of feel like we pulled the, Joe Rogan, Alex Jones, three hour interview formula uh, and just talked about banjos and Kermit and honey. We talked about everything. Okay. For starters, I had fun. I had a lot of, I had nothing against, we've had some stellar interviews. I was nervous about this interview. It's Donnie, man. This is, (laughs) it's Donnie. Forget everything else. I agree with that a hundred percent. Uh, but he's a super fun guy, oh, great yeah. storyteller. There were there were a couple times where I was like, okay, he's going way off the tracks, and then all of a sudden, right when I'm like about to butt in, right. and make an ass of myself, yeah, he ties it all together in this neat little package. I was like, oh wow, we literally, and I think we talked about it after we wrapped the interview. We could do, we could have went on. He could have went on. I don't know how many times he said, "You're gonna have to stop me. You're gonna have to stop me." And that was pre-interview. The guy, he's done everything. Okay, I'm sorry, but teaching Kermit to play the banjo, I pretty much feel like you could just go, okay, done. Right. Like, I'm done. And Heather Henson, Jim Henson's daughter, spent a, a lot of time here. And she, the, the story about her being scared about the tornado warnings, I get it. But a lot of people don't know. You know, it's... That is just, definitely just, an, an only in Oklahoma oh, yeah. thing. Oh, yeah. People, we stand outside during a tornado warning. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I feel like... 
Jim Henson having ties here, him being a huge fan of Kermit the Frog, I think it all kind of, it works. The guy, uh, I could have talked to him for hours. To the American Banjo Museum. Yeah. This place is super classy. I almost feel, I don't think I, I don't think I could get on the list, but I know a guy. <laughs> you know, I may know a guy. And one of the things that I absolutely love about the American Banjo Museum, literally one of a kind, and it's only in Oklahoma. It's literally what we do, only in OK. Yeah, it 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 doesn't fit the bill any better than that. Just a stellar uh, stellar experience. If you get a chance to go down there, uh, eight bucks for adults. They've got the brown bag and banjo thing. Bring your lunch. I mean, they're begging you to come check this thing out. It, it, even if you're not a musician, even if you're not a fan of museums, the, the mere fact that we have something here that no one else has, that's a rare, you know, nothing to dog on museums. There's art museums everywhere. I mean, there really is. It's quantity versus quality. But the Banjo Museum, one of a kind. Agreed. And I, I love it. I'm a huge fan. And again, huge fan of Lucas Ross. Really want to thank him for coming on the show. Absolutely. All right, Brett, so just a small aside, or maybe not an aside at all. Yeah. I liked having Lucas on the show. I like covering things like the the Banjo Museum, uh-huh. some of the bigger pull attractions that's in the what state. I, yeah, that's what our horses are tied to, that kind of thing. And I would like for more places like that mm-hmm. to feel like it is worth their time to come on our show. Yeah. And I think one of the ways that our audience can help with that is to give us some more reviews on iTunes. Looking a little skinny over there. In that vein, we really want to thank the people that go out of their way to tell us they like what we're doing or to help us by giving us direction or suggesting new places to visit. Terry, we'll call her Terry W. Terry W. um, Had commented on Facebook or posted on our page on Facebook. We love, love hearing that sort of stuff. So thank you, Terry. And, and one last shout out. Okay, we've got a we have a, a a friend, a fan that's been following us religiously, been our ride or die from Michigan since day one, almost day one, yeah, almost day one. I'm assuming that I know who you're talking about, right? It's Denny Kish Denny from Michigan. Kish, who gets kicked off of Facebook more often than I change my socks. He's Denny Kish. He's Danitos Incognitos, uh, <laughs> among other. Other names. He's been with us since the travel oddity days. There are plenty of you all that are, have been too neat a wussick. There's just a bunch of the, the, of our odd, odd squad members from way back that have stuck by us. Even when we flipped the dial on them, even when we changed the format and turned into a country station, uh, <laughs> you guys have still been, been our rock and roll groupies since the beginning. We want to tell you how much we appreciate that. And for everybody else that's come along since local, nationwide whoever around the world thank you so much for 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 all that you've done for us and we appreciate all all of it absolutely and we don't know you yet so let us know hit us up on facebook hit us up on twitter give us a review let us know the new names yeah tell we got nicknames for for everybody we're just waiting to give them out (laughs) well this has been the only and okay show i'm brett and i am still harley peace
can't hear myself very well, which I mean, I guess it's not. You are low. Why are you low? Talking to the microphone. Check, 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 check. Okay, you're good. I don't feel like it. What, what number am I? You're number one, I think. But you're like, you're there with me. But I just can't hear it. But you're not hearing it. I can hear you fine, but. Ha, ha, ha. There, that's a little bit better. I think it's. Oh, yeah. We need new cables. I knew a guy that well, was going to buy new cables and they never the bought list. new cables. I don't, know what the, the, I don't know what they're called. I can't go buy a picture. I need to know what they're called. And I'll buy them. Not a problem. Hello, my honey. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. <clears throat> Do you remember the frog? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also remember <laughs> it's Spaceballs with the chest burster that did the same thing. Yes. <laughs> it was Spaceballs, right? Yes, it was yeah. Spaceballs. Something something is amiss. Is it really the cables? I think it is. I can hear just fine. See, there's something uh, There's something that's being... Hang on. I'm like loud. Kapow! Hello. There we go. Jeez. Hello. Jeez. Welcome to the show. Say so welcome to the show. Today we're headed downtown to... Bri- no. I'm trying to think of... To the... Okay. Long ago... And so very far away, I fell in love with you before the second show. From the studio that brought you travel oddities comes a new adventure. Jordan, Harley, and Brett on their zany adventures through Oklahoma. The only an okay show. Rated T for tourist. <laughs> or terrorist. All right. And welcome to the show. Today we're headed downtown to Bricktown to talk about the Banjo Museum with local Locus with Locus Ross. What is it? <laughs> is this the movie Ants? <laughs> Gee. Locus Rust. Locus Rust. The most infamous Decepticon. Okay. Before I finally ingratiate the show with the proper respect that it deserves. We're mod we're a modest lot. We are. When it comes to the things we do, we're very modest about it. Probably almost as modest as we're Lucas the Ross. most modest people ever. We probably are, and it, sh- and it shows. It shows. And welcome to the show. We're headed. No, good because I realized I drank all my coffee while I was blowing my nose. God dang it! Okay. Practice saying "Welcome to the show." And welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Okay. Okay. okay I'm ready. All right. 